Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Politics without the soap opera. With unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight for our liberties anew. This is your host, Daniel Hurwitz, back in the house here Thursday, December 2nd. And folks, standing at the ready to fight for liberty, what does that mean? That means that God always gives us opportunities. And the question is, do we use those opportunities to harness the momentum that we're given to actually achieve victory or to satiate ourselves on half-done work that doesn't even work. You know, Today we're going to go over a little bit more in depth what we were talking about yesterday, how the time to kick the, to kick the clot shots, the kill shots, is now while they're down. Now is not the time to walk away from it and allow establishment Republicans to be like, oh, the courts took care of it for us. No problem. Oh, there's no COVID fascism anymore. No problem. The courts took care of it for us. No. So we're going to go through a lot of the news on the clot shots, political news. There's a lot going on today. Um, You saw Governor DeSantis. He just uh, held a press conference. He announced the creation of a state militia. Um, Texas, to my knowledge, is the only state that has a National Guard, but then a, a Texas State Guard. He has created the Florida State Guard. Um, and this is where we need to head. And eventually, that needs to be the only state militia. And eventually, that needs to lead to something much more robust. Again, you look at the gap between him and every other governor. Why don't we have that in 2025 other states? Why don't we have that in other legislatures? We're going to be exploring that today as well. Um, and uh, before I, I mean, before I go on, I just want to say that yet the, the last couple of shows, if you haven't listened to them, listen to them over again. There's a lot of important information. We had a guest yesterday that was so insightful, Dr. Mark McDonald, on understanding the fear factor, the uh, desire of people to fit in, which is why they are so keen on following whatever the government says. But you know what? When you have a governor and a legislature that works indefatigably to change the culture, the culture does change. And we're starting to see that in Florida Things are looking up there. Could always be better, but there's a lot more that needs to be done. Now, our first sponsor today, um, I try to give you guys a 2020 vision on public policy and law. Well, Better Spectacles will give you real 2020 vision. They make the most authentic uh, engineered eyewear. Uh, it's Rodenstock eyewear, the really the gold standard of eyewear in the world. Ronald Reagan himself wore Rodenstock. Uh, my wife and I have the GoSpecs lenses from Rodenstock. They use advanced algorithms from over a million patients measuring 7,000 points in your eye. 
So it's really well done. They feel good. Um, they're definitely my best pair of glasses I've ever had. Go to betterspectacles.com slash conservative to schedule a teleoptical appointment. That way you don't even have to leave your house and wear a stupid mask. Uh, they're offering my audience an introductory 61% off their Ghost Specs lenses plus free handcrafted Ronestock frames. Visit betterspectacles.com slash conservative. So I wake up this morning and I find out the news that 80 House Republicans joined every Democrat in voting for a vaccine bill that will help further fund a federal vaccine database. So rather than every Republican working at a state level to um, to terminate the existing state databases, which needs to be one of our big action items this coming legislative session, at a federal level, they tell us what they're going to do when they're in the majority. By when they're in the minority, they can't even stand up to it. So this is H.R. 550. The government's providing $400 million um, taxpayer funding to fund immunization system data modernization and expansion. It's defined as a confidential population-based computerized database that records immunization doses administered by any healthcare provider to persons within the geographic area covered by that database. Um, so, yeah. What did I tell you? At every turn... On the issue that matters, when it matters, in the way it matters, Republicans are never there for us. And not only are they not there for us, they are there to step on the gas pedal for the other side. They are there to put the ball in the end zone for the other team. They're all on the other side of this issue. They support COVID fascism. Now you might be, well, Daniel, well, it's 80 out of whatever, 210 or so Republicans but this is when they're in the minority, and this is a Democrat bill. Okay, and these are the ones that downright supported it. Two, two Indiana Republicans, Larry Bouchon and James Baird, as well as Brian Fitzpatrick from Pennsylvania and David McKinley uh, from West Virginia, they supported it. They co-sponsored it. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And they're like, no, no, it doesn't track you. It doesn't do this. Even if that were true, why? Why at a time when we need to go the other direction are you lending aid and comfort to the enemy? Why? And this is, again, when they're in the minority. They're 100 times more righteous when they're in the minority. It's not enough anymore for Republicans to say, oh, I oppose mandates. So this is what I want to get to. Because the reality is, like I told you yesterday, all the courts are going to do is say on the so-called private businesses, the government can't force them to force you. But they could still force you at the behest of the government, which most of the large corporations are going to do. You certainly have the state mandates in the states that are doing it. You have the federal workers that are going to be forced to, like border agents and ICE agents. And, and then that's just that's just the... The mandate, you know, there, there's news out that that uh, Biden extended the mask mandate until March. Why is that okay? And notice Republicans aren't even, they're not even outsourcing that to the courts. They're not even going the judicial route. Notice the state AGs that never went after the mask mandate. It's very interesting. To this day, to this day, why, this is how they, this is how they, this is how they, 
move the Overton window over. This happens all the time. They push and they push and they push. And within two years, they go 100 years, light years to the left. And then they do one final thing that kind of finally wakes people up and half-heartedly get the courts to, yeah, you shouldn't be doing that. And they call it a day. So they're able to create a virus and kill our people with it with no repercussion. They're able to bankrupt us and our supply chains with no repercussions. They're able to continue mass mandates with no repercussions. And and they're able to continue manipulating backdoor vaccine mandates. And again, even without the mandates, just the fact that they're funding and marketing it and exempting them from liability, they're, they're taking away informed consent. It's not okay. You know, you know let, let, let's say the um, government manufactured uh, something they call a vaccine. And let's say it's hemlock. And that's not such an exaggeration from what's going on now. But let, let's just make it straight up. It's hemlock. And they're like, no, it's not. I swear it's a vaccine. But it, it, really, it's hemlock. And let's say they, they don't mandate it at all. But government funds it. Partners with the private sector, so to speak, to do it. They market the hell out of it with the energy and funding of a campaign that has never been seen since the dawn of of mankind. And they exempt them of liability. Would we be like, well, well, at least it's not mandated. What do you mean? I mean, so many people are going to get snookered into that. That's not okay. That's not okay. If you're a Republican governor, Republican legislator, Republican AG, you have the obligation to fight back against that. Oh, at least it's not mandated. How do you produce something that is killing people? You know, th- there's 330,000 documents, pages of documents that the FDA relied upon to approve Pfizer. They said they're not going to release all of them until 55 years. But um, based on a settlement in a FOIA case, you know, a couple of scientists FOIA'd the data, says a case in Texas. The judge says they have to release 500 pages a month. So they released the first batch, five documents. There's a 38-page document that has, um, it details the cumulative post-authorization safety data reported to Pfizer's personal system. Okay, so P- Pfizer had, had their own system. Right now, we have, it's, it's shocking, it's unconscionable. There's 19,000 deaths in VAERS, like 150,000 serious events, almost a million um, adverse events in total. <laughs> and it's woefully underreported. Very few people report it. Very few deaths are traced back to this. Very few people are willing to do it. We, we usually pull something off the market after 20, 10, 20 deaths. Um, you know, much less government endorse it, much less mandate it. Oh, VAERS, maybe VAERS is, that's not reliable, we're told. This is Pfizer's own reporting system. Just through February, just through February, early days, 42,086 adverse event case reports containing 150, almost 159,000 total events, including 1,227 deaths. Just in the early days. So Pfizer knew about it. Almost 26,000 of the events were classified as nervous system disorders. Okay? So, so Pfizer knew about it. FDA knew about it. 
and they approve that. That alone, full stop. And and believe me, theirs says blatantly that, you know, these were submitted voluntarily and the magnitude of underreporting is unknown. That's a direct quote from Pfizer. Remember, we're seeing the amount of young people within a day or two who collapse from it that aren't reported in there. You had the Daguerre family, the 12-year-old girl who was in the actual Pfizer clinical trial, which is the most monitored thing around, right? It's not like the general population. This is the actual trial. And they, you know, before they got a lawyer, Aaron Siri, we had him on the show, uh, you know, Pfizer and the FDA tried to even deny that. It was, she's debilitated. It's like a neurological thing, a nervous system thing. Uh, She's shut down for life. And they tried to deny that. So certainly you could imagine just the -the run-of-the-mill things over the weeks and months after the vaccine, especially for elderly people, none of that gets reported. So if these are the numbers that were downright reported, and that's pretty amazing, by the way, um, you know, the ratio, uh, 42,000 adverse event reports and 1,227 of them deaths. That's a 1 to 37 ratio. You know, typically in adverse events, death, which is the ultimate thing, is like, you know, an infinitesimal amount of that. 1 in 37 is pretty bad of, of the reports. Th- this is right there. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't sway the hearts of any Republican. Truly unbelievable. And the reason is because we haven't had a movement. The Republican Party is a fraud. The conservative movement is a fraud. Most of my colleagues in this business are frauds. And where this really boils down to is our next sponsor. There's a documentary film called Enemies Within the Church. It was written by Gary, uh, Kerry Gordon, directed by Judd Saul, and produced by my friend Trevor Loudon. Um they basically go through how the evangelical establishment leaders have been bought out. They've rotted out the church, got them into critical race theory, neo-Marxism and social justice, like jailbreak and open borders rather than fighting for biblical values. Um, And this is really what we need to take back the country. You got to save the church. So it's very important, very important film to watch. Um, it really will, you know, it's something that you should you should send to your pastor and make sure make sure they see the enemy is within. So again, if you go to um enemieswithinthechurch.com. So it's spelled exactly the way it sounds, enemieswithinthechurch.com. You could purchase the DVD um and make sure you send it to everyone you know. This is really critical. So enemieswithinthechurch.com. Um Anyway, back to the excess deaths and all this stuff. So this is straight from the horse's mouth, and they admitted. This is a direct quote from the document. Due to the large numbers of spontaneous adverse event reports received for the product, the MAH, which is the Oversight Committee, has prioritized the processing of serious cases. So they had so many, they had to start prioritizing. They were bombarded with adverse events. This is not normal. And they said they had to hire more staff. This is not normal. But what they've done is they lied and lied. No, nothing, 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 nothing. Oh, yeah, there's a little bit of something. So then by the time they get you into that, you're already sucked in. And so now people are emotionally prepared for a very high cost. Well, it's still worth it. It's still worth it. 
Like, nothing phases them anymore. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. You know, University of Hong Kong, they did research. Myocarditis, pericarditis. And they confirmed this. Think about this. They said, there is a significant increase in the risk of acute myocarditis, pericarditis following community, that's Pfizer vaccination, among Chinese male adolescents, especially after the second dose. Think about it. Pfizer is the only one even available for that age in America. Moderna is an even greater dose, and they're downright banned in most Western countries for under 30. And yet in America, it is mandated in some places to go to college, many places to go to college. This is out in the open. Imagine a product, serious injury for ruining the hearts of young kids. And it's marketed, and even the Republicans are like, yeah, you know, you really guys should really get this. I don't like mandates. I'm not really going to do anything to stop it, even though I pretend to do it. But, but yeah, this is, this is the best way to combat. What are you talking about? Every Republican. But instead, I'm pro-life, I'm pro-gun. I don't give a damn about that. They're aborting our people, our adults. It's sad that they're killing their babies. But I care more about our people. I'm sorry. Adults matter too. The born matter at least as much as the unborn. But you see, when you have a movement politically and legally to fight for life, you see there it's bearing some degree of fruit. You'll probably at least get a abortion ban or the ability of states to, you know, without being molested by the federal courts, to ban abortion at least after 15 weeks. Maybe they'll even go further than that. Who knows? But that's because we have a political movement behind that. But what about the other issues? I told you this already. Israeli researchers found a list of 183 professional athletes and coaches just in one year that died fivefold above the average baseline over the last 20 years. Most of them were obviously very young, males. Most were males. And 80 of them collapsed on the field. And most of them were, you guessed it, myocarditis, pericarditis, heart attacks, cardiac arrest, and blood clotting. And again, if we're seeing this degree, this magnitude of disturbing safety signals and this degree of short-term deaths and injuries, what does that portend for long-term safety for millions more? You know, all these people think, oh, well, I didn't feel any problem. The shots weren't a problem for anyone in my family. Well, there's one thing if you have a vaccine, you're like, oh, it's a pandemic. We don't have time to study it long term. We approve it. And short term, it looks like it's it's totally fine. You know, you don't hear problems. So you're like, yeah, you know, we really should study it long term, but you could presume it's probably safe. But when you're seeing this much of a safety signal, short term, God knows what it is long term. And especially when you understand the mechanism of action with depleting your CD8 cells and the concern of more aggressive cancers as a result of that, and, and most prominently, really, the autoimmune diseases based on what it does with ori uh, original antigen sin, what it does uh, teaching your immune system to respond stupidly. This is why it's not enough. You have to go after the vaccines. Every state in January, we need a bill requiring this is the best way to do it because you're going to run up against this brick wall with you can't tell a private sector what to do. The best thing to do is, all right, 
You want to do it of your own volition? We're going to apply vaccine injury liability. Workplace injury liability, I mean, to to this. If it's safe and effective, put your money where your where your mouth is. Subject them to workplace liability, and I would have a fund, I would create a fund that the state would pay for lawsuits. Because it's only fair. If the state is putting this much money behind the logistics, the availability, and the promotion of the shots, you have to even up the score. Again, I don't need a welfare fund to fund our litigation, but if they're going to have welfare for Pfizer, then, yeah, you got to even up the score. One of the most important things that we can do coming up, that's action item number one. We need liability. We only got that, but we got it passed. I, um, I'm trying to think where we got it passed. Did we get it passed in any state? I don't know if any bill wound up having that. They all stripped it out, to my knowledge. Offhand, I can't think of a single state we've had proposed legislation. But this is a big problem. But meanwhile, we have Republicans funding this. We need every Republican governor and legislature to have a committee, a 9-11 style committee that each state creates to investigate the shots, to investigate the creation of the virus, to investigate the therapeutics that they're blocking and banning and and, and what they are promoting. This is not okay. You need state departments of health to shadow box the feds, put out their own information, their own VAERS system, their own um, accounting and audit of who, who, who died. Look at the death certificates. Look at the CMS data. And you'll find likely hundreds of thousands of people died and many more were debilitated from these shots, particularly the elderly. None of those are being captured because we assume, oh, yeah, they just died. They're old. At least Florida is starting. If you saw Ladapo, the Surgeon General, um, he did put out a website about whole health. And one of them is COVID-19. There's a tab. And they do promote. They say, you know, they, they couch the language. Check with your doctor. They have a list of zinc, DC, quercetin. And for therapeutics, they, it's funny. They pick fluvoxamine and budesonide. Now, you could tell they're trying to avoid, like, the lightning rods. But, okay, it's a start. Finally, 20 months into it, we have one State Department of Health inching into talking about, yeah, they're kind of our ways of treating this. Obviously, they talk about the monoclonals. So, I mean, this is, this is unacceptable. And by the way, there's a very interesting report out trying to quantify where we are with the vaccine reporting and how how much we're really under-reporting the problems. I'm trying to find this here. It was a, it was a great Substack blog. You know, a lot of people have good um, Substack uh, pages now that are worthy of following. And, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll get this up at some point. Yeah, it's called Rounding the Earth. Okay, rounding the earth. Matthew Crawford is, is is his name on Substack. And it's titled Disturbing Details About Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting. And one of the points he makes is that if you look at theirs, it's disturbing to find out that multiple deaths are sometimes recorded in a single VAERS entry. 
So meaning that that gets tabulated as one death. He he cites this one VARES report, number one six six nine five seven seven, that describes 726 deaths. Another one he found describes thirty nine patients. Whoa! So that in itself, are we undercounting just on that account alone? And then there's so many administrative errors he points to. VARES database shows a massive spike in cases in 2021. Temporal associations with deaths and descriptions of cases that make it clear there is a level of, of casual, casual association with some portion of them. Um, and you would think that would be enough to have more scrutiny. But instead, there's so many errors in the system. So this is a big problem. And also his point is, it's like a lot of them signal there's problems. There's reports that mention if you search it, expired vaccine, expired vial. Well, why are we following up with that to make sure there's no systemic problem? It is clear from both political parties that there is zero interest in following up on these signals. It's like they're always like, well, Daniel, you can't prove conclusively that it's this bit. It's not my job. It's your job to prove conclusively it's safe. That's how it's always been. And when you have this degree of safety signal, you have to follow up on it. But this is the point. It's not a matter. Yeah, it's not enough for me to ban it now. Normally it is. It's that they don't even want to follow up on it. It's the same thing with all these drugs. They don't want to follow up on the problems with remdesivir. They don't want to follow up on the, you know, good news from ivermectin and other stuff. They have no, well, it's not enough for me. Okay, well, you're going to do your own study, right, and follow up on the, you know, the good signals we're seeing. No, no, we have, we have no interest. Well, fluvoxamine came out with great studies. They're going to follow up. No, no, nothing. And no Republican of, of stature beyond the Florida governor wants to even get into this. Again, just to show how this is not going away, Head Start announced, that's the federal Head Start program, universal masking for all two-year-olds in Head Start programs. Now, look, I don't believe in this crap, but it's taken on a life of its own. A lot of people are dependent on it. And, you know, so you could say all you want, oh, I'm in this state, I'm in Florida, we don't have a mask mandate. Well, a lot of people are roped into Head Start, and a lot of them are special needs kids. Can you imagine taking a five-year-old, uh, you know, autistic kid, or, or just five-year-old with learning disabilities, and, and forcibly masking them for something that doesn't work, probably spreads it worse, and causes so much emotional, psychological, developmental harm? Are you freaking kidding me? And we can't get a single Republican to fight back against this? Like, oh, the courts. No, there's so many more parts and facets to COVID fascism. And lack of informed consent and the genocide with the virus and the shots and the denial of care. All of this needs to be addressed. All of it, We have a list of, of issues. They all need to be addressed by the governors and the legislative sessions. This is not okay. Instead, they vote for the opposite when given the opportunity. The tracking. Databases, is this what we want? You know, there's evidence now that they might start having some sort of spying device 
that they put in your cars. I warned you, this 2,700-page, trillion-dollar transportation bill that a number of Republicans helped pass, Biden's signature legislative accomplishment, is the Obamacare of transportation. You know, the freedom of the cars is like the symbol of freedom in America, what we still have over Europe. And it's not just the trillions of dollars, but the policies that are going to be leveraged through that. Let me just give you one example of a provision tucked into this that a lot of people, um, that, that no one has seen, and, and undoubtedly there's more of this. There's a provision requiring automakers to install anti-drunken driving technology into new automobiles as soon as 2026. <laughs> There's an $11 billion road safety portion of the bill that would require the Department of Transportation to issue a rule prescribing a drunken driving technology safety standard within three years. It gives them two years to comply. And it doesn't specify what technology automakers should use. You know, because if they put in there like a spying device, people would flag it. So it's anything you want. What do you think they're going to do with that? Do you think these guys suddenly care about drunk driving? As you well know, when I covered illegal aliens and drunk driving, we've done a lot of shows on this in the past. Uh, for those of you who are new, I've actually covered this issue. I, I think, for one, even putting the illegal alien drunk driving epidemic aside, just you know, among Americans, this is a huge problem. I'm, I'm, I'm a big hawk on this issue. It has killed so many people. The issue is you have to deter and punish those people, but because of criminal justice deform and jailbreak, nobody serves jail time. Some of these states, they, depending on the state laws, a lot of them you could have three, four, five drunk driving cases, and they don't go to jail. The same people that don't want jail time, it's like the same thing, go after the guns, but, but, uh, let the gun felons out of jail. Same thing. This is always their philosophy. Cast a wide net of surveillance and regulation around everyone's liberty. And then when you have the guy who actually commits the crime, then they're all, you know, have no problem and actually will fight tooth and nail any effort to increase jail time. We, we had on the show at the time um, uh, a woman who, lost, who was hit by an illegal alien drunk driver. She was severely injured, but survived. But she had a, she was eight months pregnant, and the fetus did not survive. And um, it was known from day one you couldn't get any legislation on illegal aliens. But even just generically to get tougher, um, it's a long story, but in New Mexico, because for whatever reason, Native American tribes, a lot of those people have a lot of issues with drunk driving, and it's, it's a known problem. And the tribal councils have tremendous clout in a state like New Mexico. So it's like it's like a non-starter there. You can never toughen penalties on drunk drivers. It was like a non-starter. Um, and suddenly they care about this. We know exactly what they're going to do. Their surveillance is crazy. We don't need to imagine it anymore. What we're seeing in some of the blue states, and it's already very evident in Europe, where they walk around with QR codes and... I mean, they got you. And Republicans are signing on to more databases? Are you kidding me? And again, this is just willingly going along with Democrats that are unpopular when typically Republicans just vote no when they're out of power. You can imagine when they're in the majority what they do. And they already are in the majority in half the states and the state governments, and this is what they do. 
This is crazy. It is utterly crazy. Why aren't state AGs going after the federal transportation mask mandate? Why aren't they going after the Head Start mask mandate? Isn't that interesting? Because there hasn't been enough pressure. And this is the broader point. It's not going to happen on its own. As Steve Dace keeps saying, if you think electing Republicans alone is going to stop this, no. It's about electing the right Republicans. (laughs) And really, Republicans that don't consider themselves Republicans and really want to start a new party. But not just about electing them, but every day, especially in the red states where you have a little bit more clout and pressure on these elected Republicans. Every day, shadow box them on the legislative agenda, on the gubernatorial agenda. Why aren't you doing this? Why are you doing this? Shame them. Threaten to primary them. I'd like to announce a very, those of you who haven't heard about this yet, some of, some of you might have, a very exciting project that I didn't realize how imminent it was. I didn't realize they had it together that dovetails with what I'm trying to do and might serve as the vehicle for my dream plan. And a guy named Andy Roth, he's been a long friend of mine, probably, there's probably nobody alive who has worked harder to throw out rhinos and primaries. He was the main guy that used to interview candidates for the Club for Growth. So Andy Roth started a new endeavor called the State Freedom Caucuses, where he's basically partnering with, he has an umbrella organization that's overseen by the head honchos of the Freedom Caucus, uh, Jim Jordan, Mark Meadows, Andy Biggs, um, Scott Perry of Pennsylvania, and create state franchises that you know, you're affiliated with them. And as we noted, the problem we have in all these states is you'll have Republican supermajorities, and you'll have a handful of good guys. They have no power. They're overshadowed by leadership and the governor and everything. And no one knows, no one knows how to separate them. Like who they all run as pro-gun, pro-life. This is a way that's going to separate them. We're going to start a Freedom Caucus, and everyone's going to know. Wait, you say you're a conservative. Why aren't you a member of the Freedom Caucus? This is going to be a way we can organize, um, get them all together. It's a terrific idea. I think they're going to start with Georgia, but they have a number of states, uh, irons in the fire. So now our teams are going to be able to work with the right members, get them to introduce the right legislation, light a fire under it, shame the other guys. This is going to be our effort um, to to fight back in the states. And I think it's really very important. It gives them a national network. So basically, um, you know, why would they want to just subvert themselves, su- submit themselves to a national group? So what they get in turn in, in return is basically um, this organization will fund, they have funding, they will fund a salary of an executive director. Part of the problem we have now is, I, I told you this, you go to Wyoming, you go to Idaho, Idaho, you go to North Dakota, tiny states, they have full-time jobs, they barely have time, they barely get paid, they don't have staff, or they have like shared staff from leadership. And it's very hard for them to bone up on the issues and really fight back. That's what this organization is going to do, among many things. So it's a terrific idea, um, State Freedom Caucus, and maybe maybe we'll have Andy on the show next week. But I'm really really excited about this, and uh, you know what it means in the future. This is how it has to be. This is the way we're gonna, uh, you know elevate the heroes, shame the zeros, 
differentiate ourselves so they can't all run under the same umbrella. This is how we're going to get our agenda passed, or at least, you know, on the table. This is how we strike while the iron's hot. This is how you kick the clot shots while they're down. You need to focus politically. You can't allow. I'm telling you, I'm hearing I'm hearing in, in Congress, they're all saying, and this is another effort we need to join. So Chip Roy is spearing, heading an effort to have a national showdown and a shutdown, block the budget bills over, um, over the mandates. This is how you harness a national fight over it. And it would be better if all the states would join too by simultaneously getting into session and passing legislation. But at a federal level, they're not in power, but you still do have the filibuster. So they have the votes to pass a budget bill out of the House, but in the Senate, you do need some Republicans. You do need, at a minimum, um, nine Republicans to go along with it. Now, unfortunately, they're easily going to get nine Republicans because we probably don't even have nine Republicans (laughs) that don't want to go along with it. But that's the point. This is what they could be doing. But anyway, Chip tells me that one of the things they're, they're all saying, oh, the courts already dealt with this. I, I warned you. I told you that. They love this. They love the courts. Because it allows them to absolve themselves of all responsibility. But I'm telling you, the courts are only going to solve the last 2% of the issue. But the the other 98% is not solved. You will find that. Absent states doing what, at a minimum, what Florida did, most big corporations, if not all of them, in every state, will go along with it anyway. It doesn't matter how many people die, how many heart disease problems we have, how much myocarditis we have, how much blood clotting. It just doesn't matter. Facts simply don't matter. Simply doesn't matter. You know, it's funny. um, There's a study out. CDC has a study out. Okay? CDC's researchers. They looked at the booster efficacy. Randomized controlled trial, 10,000 people. They claim there's efficacy of boosters for two and a half months. Okay? That's what they claim. So far, two and a, we see two and a half months of efficacy from boosters. You look at the trial, there were zero hospitalizations in both the control and study groups. <laughs> I mean, this is what they get away with. And there was no reduction in infections, by the way, among those with prior COVID-19 infection. So they all say that there's still some benefit to getting it even if you had a natural immunity. Nope, this thing shows it's not. So, again, it's lie after lie after lie after lie. It's unbelievable how they get away with this. But they get away with it because Republicans allow them to. You know, I I mentioned this a little bit yesterday, but I want to go into this. On Wednesday, the FDA... Now, they didn't officially approve it, but they will. It's you know, it goes to the committee, the advisory committee first, then the FDA director, then the CDC director. But it was the it's called FDA's Antimicrobial Drugs and Advisory Committee. They voted 13 to 10 to approve Monopiravir. Okay? 
if you would understand, if you would have watched that, you will see a glimpse into how this entire thing is a lie, and you will easily understand them approving the most... Th think about this. Think about this. They've gone for 20 months without an outpatient-approved drug for COVID. This is the first one! Nothing was good enough for them, no matter the evidence, no matter how the safety profile. Nothing. Well, we wait for, for this. It, it, it reminds me of... um. It was this uh, woman I knew that used to, you know, try to be a matchmaker to set people up on dates uh, for marriage, and there was this guy that was just so picky. You know, every every girl that that she proposed was just uh, was not not good enough for him. It just uh, didn't like the way she looked. And then finally, you know, just uh, months later, she heard that the guy got engaged, and she was like, "Man, I gotta see who this woman is. I, you know, I gotta see who this is. She, she must be the, you know, prettiest woman in the history of the world." And and she went, and she was like, "Oh, really? Like, wow, that's that's surprising." And you know, basically, the the lesson was that you know, love is a lot more than just uh, you know physicality, and obviously, it clicked with him, and that's what was important. But it just reminds me of this, like, man. <laughs> this wonder drug that they dumped $1.2 billion into Merck <coughs> to buy and develop. Man, this this is it. Ivermectin, it's turned people around late stage on ventilators. Man, that's that's horrible. It, it, it's regarded as, uh, you know, um, one of the safest things known to man, one of the greatest medical breakthroughs in, in 50 years. Um, safer than Tylenol, safer than, uh, than over the... Uh, counter drugs. Uh, in 2017, an article published in Nature's Journal of Antibiotics said that few, if any other drug, can rival ivermectin for its beneficial impact on human health and welfare. Ivermectin is continuing to surprise and excite scientists, offering more and more promise to help improve global public health by treating a diverse range of diseases with its unexpected potential as an antibacterial, antiviral, and anti-cancer agent being particularly extraordinary. Essentially, a unique, multifaceted wonder drug of the past and present may yet become an even more exceptional drug of the future. They, they wrote this in Nature magazine, Journal of Antibiotics, four years ago. Um, how, how fortuitous it was, but unfortunately, they're denying ivermectin that future. They're denying us that future. Again, this is four years ago, before anyone knew of COVID, before the politics, before anything. You can't accuse it of being a tool to like be anti-vax or something. It was four years ago, nothing to do with that. They noticed that the antiparasitic had broad potential as an antibacterial, antiviral, and anti-cancer. But that's not good enough. That's poison. FDA says it's a horse drug. This remdesivir is so bad, it has shown no safety efficacy. Nothing. Do you know that if you drill down into the... They did like 19 different countries. They, you know, they divided their sample size of their study into 19 different countries. Did you know that in every country but Brazil, it was negative efficacy? They did worse than the control. And then in Brazil, it was slanted data. Like, okay, so something's really funny about that. But they conceded that the drug is mutagenic, causes birth defects. It literally caused birth defects in the lab rats. But now we're the lab rats. Worse than, the lab rats is like, we didn't study it, we're going to put it on humans before studying it. Here, what they did with remdesivir, what they're doing with monopiravir, and what they did with this new um, smallpox drug we talked about, this is the new modus operandi, they, they actually study it in animals, and it causes major problems. Like, man, let's use it on humans. That is not a mistake, that's not oversight, that is 
willful genocide. Sankar Swaminathan, I can't pronounce this guy's name. He's an infectious disease specialist at the University of Utah School of Medicine. He's on the committee. He said, given the large potential population affected, the risk of widespread effects on potential birth defects, especially delayed effects on the male, has not been adequately studied. Um, the FDA and Merck both recommended against using the drug in kids and pregnant women. So right away, even Merck conceded that point. That's how problematic the drug is. It was found to be lethal to embryos and pregnant rats, also causing birth defects and reducing fetal body weight. It also caused other defects that interfered with bone growth in young pups, along with other abnorm abnormalities. I, this is in plain sight. Admitted by Merck and FDA. It's plain sight. I'm like, well, we'll approve it anyway, because Merck's got to get their money. And you don't believe that what they're doing with lockdowns and masks and the vaccines and denying ivermectin is not rooted in the same thing? Open your damn eyes, Republicans. It's unbelievable. Everything they've done doesn't work, makes the virus worse, and causes injury. Every single thing they've done. Notice that. FDA's briefing document. So every time they have a meeting, they have a briefing document. It states, this is a direct quote, there are potential safety concerns pertaining to molnipiravir, including embryo-fetal toxicity, bone and cartilage toxicity, and mutagenicity. They also say there's evidence that molnipiravir may increase the rate of changes in the viral spike protein, which in theory could enhance SARS-CoV-2 spike protein evolution. That is a direct quote. Of particular interest in some participants, molnipiravir treatment was associated with amino acid changes at sites, regions of spike that are likely under immune or other evolutionary pressure. Evolutionary pressure, that's exactly what Gert Vandenbosch says the vaccines are doing. Guess what? They're therapeutic. The first and only one now approved for outpatient treatment is going to, um, it does the same thing. Collectively, this is again from their briefing document. Collectively, these analysis indicate Molnipiravir treatment may increase the rate of emergence of SARS-CoV-2 populations with amino acid changes in the viral spike protein consistent with its mutagenic mechanism of action. This is straight. This is the FTA's document. This is biblical. Dr. Michael Green, pediatric transplant specialist at the University of Pittsburgh on the committee, he said he kind of agreed there's problems, but he said basically the, because of a lack of available therapies, this is what we have to do. Think of the juxtaposition to the drugs that they're trashing that have no known side effects. And this is what they're doing. This is what they're doing. If you look at just the phase two of their trial, okay, just phase two, it would indicate a 4.7% hospitalization rate in the placebo group and a 6.2% hospitalization rate in the molnipiravir group. If you look at the data, that's clearly what it says. And even in their own words, they say clearly it doesn't work after day five. It doesn't work after day five. Okay? It's right there. No data to demonstrate benefit of molnipiravir when initiated beyond five days from onset of symptoms. 
So we're trading so much risk of injury, birth defects, cancer, making the virus more virulent and mutated, mutagenic. For even in their own words, a modest potential efficacy for a few days narrow window at a cost of $700 a person. And that is the new standard of emergency approval. I want you to think for a minute in your mind what they are approving widespread upfront outpatient juxtaposed to what they're denying even as a last resort when they're ready to pull the plug in hospitals. I want you to think about that devastating juxtaposition and there is no good answer for that. There are no innocuous answers to how they could do that other than genocide. And can you imagine Janet Cragen, she's a medical officer at the CDC, but somehow gets to be a panelist on the FDA advisory committee as well. She said, this is a quote, listen to this. There are definite concerns about the potential effects of this drug on the embryo and the fetus. But then she said, I don't think you can ethically, ethically say it's okay to give the drug in pregnancy, but I'm not sure you can tell a pregnant woman who has COVID-19 that she can't have the drug if she decides she needs it. Could you imagine you have something that is, is, is not like unknown, it's proven to cause birth defects, developmental, I mean, it's the worst thing imaginable in kids. And she says, if a pregnant woman wants it, it's, it's unethical to tell her she can't take it. Yet ivermectin, which is among the safest drugs ever produced and the most effective broad spectrum anti, anti, um, viral, anti, you know, anti bad stuff coming into your cell mechanism and they won't even allow it on a dying person much less you know a regular person who wants to uh wants to use it folks i think you and i both know that if we were to really find out the truth about the scope of damage from these vaccines because a lot of even what I'm saying, I'm going with the what I could see that, oh, you know, there's some degree of efficacy for this time for somebody. All of it is probably a lie. I just go within what we even see. But a lot of this is straight up fabricated. If you know of someone that's like closing their ears, like, la, 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 I don't want to hear. There's nothing wrong with the vaccine. Nah, 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 no, nothing. If they don't know about what is going on on the therapeutic side of this. They're missing the whole enchilada because that is a front door, open, transparent window into their hearts and their deeds and what they're doing to us. It is utterly insane. Next up, I don't know when, but it should be soon, the FDA will probably approve Paxilovide, whatever that is. Paxilovid is a Pfizer's drug. Um, which might be less problematic because it has a mechanism where it copies ivermectin, but it's mixed with ritonavir, which is an AIDS drug, which absolutely is problematic. Where are the state? Where are the states saying how could you do this? We're gonna we're gonna ban molnupiravir. We're gonna ban remdesivir. We're gonna make sure people have access to ivermectin. We're actually following the straight up data and science. There, is, there are no innocuous answers to this. But this is not going to solve itself on its own. 
It's not going to solve itself in an election without intervention. It's not going to solve itself with court decisions. We need to work the primaries hard, 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 most important being the state legislatures and governors, particularly in red states. And we need to work, and now we have a framework, thanks to the state freedom caucuses. The legislative sessions are starting in a month. If you're in that state, you need to work with your groups. Go to conaction.network to join a state team. We have team leaders in about a dozen states, but I need I need more if you're willing to be a coordinator. Work together. Call your first meeting with 30, 40, 50 people in this audience. Um, we'll give you the names. And you could focus like a laser beam on the legislation push legislation with the good guys for them to introduce, shame those that don't support it, drive calls into their offices, threaten primaries, put out stuff in, in local media and social media where you are. Get on the playing field because the good news is when we do, we see results. You always have to have your input to harness God's blessing. It's not going to happen on your own. You got to help yourself and then you got to pray to God. But this is so bad. When you look at the data, even I'm shocked sometimes. I'm like, this can't be true. This can't be going on. This can't be allowed. Oh, yeah. And just remember, you can't have a situation where everything they have done. You know that in the Brownstone Institute. It's a good website to go to, Brownstone Institute. It's a, it's a new outlet. They have, um, there's an article by Paul, Dr. Paul Alexander, more than 400 studies on the failure of compulsory COVID interventions, whether it's masks, whether it's um, lockdowns or vaccines, over 400 studies they list. Um, it's, it's, it's right over there on the failure of it. That doesn't happen on its own. Everything they do didn't work, made the virus worse, blocked the things that would work, came with terrible collateral damage, the mask is the developmental and emotional, probably physical too. The lockdowns, we certainly are very well versed in what that caused. And then the, the injuries from these shots are unbelievable. The amount of death and mayhem and God knows the long-term consequences for immune systems of half the world and what that's going to do. But this is going to have to do it for today. We'll have hopefully another special guest on tomorrow. Send this show to everyone you know, everyone you know that you believe is either with you or and wants to do something about it or maybe somewhere in the middle. Again, if they're totally at the other end of the spectrum, it's not even worth it. We don't need those people. We need a small, rate minority, particularly in red states where officially we are the majority. we got to inform. we got to educate. we got to fight. Let's get on the playing field. Let's make this work with God's help. Till tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening. Thank you.